podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone, it's time to welcome back former England Test player Roland Butcher to discuss England's recent Test Series win against South Africa and also to look ahead to their trip to Pakistan. Hello, Roland. Yes, Stephen, hey. Well, what a summer. England's best Test match summer since 2004. Six wins out of seven. Uh, We're going to review the series in more detail, but firstly, we mentioned this at the end of the last podcast, is Baz Ball still alive? Well, again, for me, the jury's always going to be out. Um, You know, Baz Ball suggests that you just bash it from ball one, but... um, I don't think that's going to be the case going forward. As I said, you've got to use it against your opponents and in certain circumstances. But as as the only way of playing, I don't subscribe that that would be the only way that England will play. Um, this winter certainly will tell you um, whether they're going to play in that fashion or not. And do you think that in some instances, England have been too attacking? Well, if you look at the series... This last series in particular, which we're looking at, um, you cannot say they haven't been overattacking because both teams have scored very low. They've been very low scores. So uh, it, it, is, it is difficult to say whether that strategy is one well used um, in the South African series because, you know, both teams, you know, batting was quite, was quite poor. And, and the bowlers dominated really from the very first game right through to the last. Well, let's talk about that first game, which began at Lords on the 17th of August. And South Africa, they won the game by innings and 12 runs. Was it a good toss for South Africa to win? Well, most definitely. Um, I think I was there the first day. Um, so I saw exactly how things were panning out. And South Africa, South Africa bore really well. There's no question about it. They used the conditions well, um, the four fast bowlers were all excellent, put England under a lot of pressure and, and bowled them out cheaply. So, you know, that first morning and winning that toss, I think, was, was vital because let's remember South Africa came into that test series with, you know, very little cricket under their belt. I think they just played the one game in England before the test match. So, you know, had they batted first, you know, it, it could probably be in a, a 3 nil situation. but having fielded that first test match and bowling them out um, relatively cheaply, it put themselves in, in pole position and, and they played a very good game. No question about that. As someone who's obviously played a lot at Lords, is is the ground particularly difficult on the first morning when the, the overhead conditions are in favour of the bowlers? I mean, not particularly. I mean, Lords, you know, you can score runs at Lords. I, I, I just felt you know, South Africa bore well. There's no question. I mean, Ravada was on top of his game. Um, Janssen bore really well. Um, Nofke and 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 Ngidi. So those four fast bowlers just got everything right on that first day and put the England batters on under pressure. I'm not sure whether England could have done any any different, really, because conditions were very much in the in the bowlers' favour. Yeah, you're t- talking about the South African pace attack. The 
lowest speed, average speed of all four bowlers was Janssen at 83 miles an hour. It was like being back watching the West Indies of old. Yes, it's uh, not quite as fearsome. <laughs> um, the pace, they definitely have the pace. And obviously they look to bowl good lines and lines and length. But um, I think in helpful conditions, you know, there will be a handful for sure. Well, England were bowled out for 165 and 149 in, I think, eight, just over 82 overs. And you were looking, the game was over mid-afternoon on Friday and you talked about going to the game on on the first day, which was the Wednesday. But um, yours truly was due to go on Saturday. So I didn't see any cricket at all for a test match at Lords on Saturday. Uh, but Ben Stokes was adamant after the game that... Um, that was the way he wanted to play. Well, he would say that because after one game, you can't say, well, let's change course. I mean, if you decide that's the course you're going to go down, um, you've got to try and back yourself. So I didn't really expect that Ben Stokes would be able to say, you know, anything different. Um, but I don't think it was their positive um, baseball approach in that test. I just thought South Africa bored well and, and pinned them back. Um, in both innings, and, and really, that was not really deficiency by England. I thought it was very efficient by um, South Africa. South Africa were very much on the front foot the whole game, and, and thoroughly deserved to win the, the first test. What a change round, though, after Lords. Um, England won at Old Trafford by an innings and 85 runs, and at the Oval by nine wickets. And I'd just like to explore some of the reasons you might have more why England won the series 2-1. And there are things like the toss, Ollie Robinson, Ben Stokes and the, the weak South African batting. And I wanted to return first to the toss in both the last two tests. Do you think they were very significant uh, matters that affected the results? The toss was. And um, well, even before the toss, I think South Africa handed England um, a lifeline, really, you just crushed England in the first test at Lords. Um, you were not sure what your attack was going to be, but your attack produced an excellent performance, put England on the back foot. Then you go into the next test match and made one of the weirdest decisions that I've seen in South Africa or any team make for a long, long time. You leave out Janssen, who was a thorn in England's side right throughout the test match, to play another spinner. I mean, that made no sense whatsoever um, at all. And then on top, and then on top of that, you know, you, you decide to bat, which was absolute lunacy. England got this, got this right. They stuck with just the, the one spinner, um, and South Africa really just, for me, gave up that Test match even before ball was ball. Well, their top scorer in their first innings was Rabada with thirty six, which um, says a lot about the uh, decision to bat first. Well, crazy. Had they played Janssen, I, I, I'm certain if they played Janssen, they would have bowled first. But trying to justify playing a, um, the, a spinner and wanting want him to bowl late in the game, I think it cost them the game. And in, as it turned out, it cost them the series. And then just moving forward to the uh, third test, talking about the toss. This time England won the toss and South Africa are bowled out for 118, having at one point being 36 for six. Yeah, again, the toss played a huge part. Um, England 
got the luck of the green and they did what South Africa should have been doing, I think, right throughout the series. I think you're playing so late in the year. Um, conditions are going to be reasonable for bowling in the morning um, unless the pitch looks so, so flat. Um, you know, why go and bat? Take the chance if you've got a, a good fast bowling lineup, utilize those conditions. England did just that. And South Africa just could not recover from there, from that first innings. Of course, the match uh, became a, a three day test following the, the death of Her Majesty the Queen on Thursday, the 8th of September. Did you think it was a right decision to play the test match starting on the Saturday? I think so, yes. I mean, I, I would fully agree with the test match continuing. I mean, Her Majesty the Queen, that's what she would have wanted, the, the game to continue. Um, you know, the country was in mourning for the loss of the of the monarch. But at the same time, um, I don't think she would have wanted you to cancel the test match um, because she, she had passed away. I think it was absolutely right and correct to you continue. Um, during the test match, the... The right things were done by the, by the teams to recognise the passing of the Queen. And, and obviously that was significant. But I think it was an absolutely right decision to continue. It was certainly a very emotional start to the match with Laura Wright singing the, the new national anthem for the first time. Yes, I mean, obviously, um, you know, as I said, that time of, you know, it's a very difficult time for the country. And let's remember... Um, you know, England cricketers are no different to the rest of the country. So, you know, they would be feeling it the same way. And I think even South Africa, who were the visitors, to some degree, would also be feeling the pain of, of, of the British people. So I think all in all, I, I think it was quite fitting and, and proper um, to, to continue with that test match. Um, my next sort of key reason why England won the series um, was... Ben Stokes, who got 149 runs, averaging 37, 10 wickets at 15, and including that century he made at Old Trafford. How important was he to the overall success for England in the series? Well, obviously, the last couple of games, he, you know, he had an impact. I think the most impact really was, you know, when he was able to come and pick up um, the wickets that he did, you know, three at a time. Um, certainly took a lot of pressure off the, the other bowlers. Obviously, Anderson, Broad, Robinson were going to bowl a lot. But I think having Ben Stokes as the, you know, as the fourth bowler really helped the team because he, he did exactly what um, Janssen did in the first Test match. Uh, but as I said, you know, all credit to England. They grasped the opportunities given to them by South Africa. And South Africa did give them opportunities, but at the same time, you've got to take advantage of those. And Ben Stokes and his men did just that. And I think justifiably ended up winning the series and thoroughly deserved it. And how did you think Ben led the side in this series? I thought he led the side well. I mean, listen, you know, Ben Stokes, not just this summer, you know, in previous games that he, he had um, led the side even on a short-term basis. You know, he'd always, he's always done a good job. You know, the question always going to be with Ben Stokes is the workload. That's all that's going to be the problem. I mean, 
you know, he has a knowledge of the game. He's been around the game a long time. He's been a match-winning batsman and bowler. He has a great influence on the team. Um, he has a great influence on the outcome of games. Um, so it's just going to be really managing his workload to ensure that, you know, he's not overloaded. So, you know, I never had any problems in believing that Ben Stokes would struggle um, as a captain. He clearly works well with the new coach, Brendan McCullum. Well, at the moment, yes. I mean, everything's rosy. Um, you've got to see when when you hit rock bottom. Instead of winning six out of seven, when you lose um, six out of seven, you will see what the relationship is like then. Um, that's the acid test. As it is right now, everything is fine and, and dandy, so everybody's happy. Let's wait and see. The next topic I wanted to discuss is the South African batting. Uh, they're their sort of test side only had two players who scored a thousand test runs. They only made one fifty in the whole series. Was it um, our bowling, the conditions, their inexperience, the reason for the failures? A bit of both. Um, obviously, uh, a relatively young, inexperienced side coming to England late in the summer, um, haven't had much cricket, not much chance to acclimatise. Um, against guys in their con- in English conditions, you know, Broad and Anderson are two of the best in English conditions. Coming up against them, then you got Stokes, Robinson, and others. Really, with that limited batting line- lineup, it needed to be pretty flat wickets for them to have a, re- a chance. Realistically, I always felt the bowler had an opportunity, but the question was going to be whether their batsman could get enough runs. And as the series panned out, it just showed that batting, and from a batting perspective, they just were not good enough. And, in, you know, they lost a couple of players that perhaps would have helped them. Um, people like Bavuma and um, Van der Dusen. Uh, but even with those two, I think they still would have struggled because, you know, there's no De Villiers, there's no Calais, um, there's no players of that calibre um, in the South African team to really hold them together when things are not going well. And a recalled fitter, faster Ollie Robinson, who's now got 51 wickets in 11 test matches. He had a very good series with 12 wickets. Yeah, I mean, Robinson's um, timing coming back was perfect. Obviously, he came back um, with the series very much in the balance. Um good conditions to ball in, obviously keen to impress and get back into the team and stay in the team. So everything was working f- perfectly for him and he got the results and, you know, he bowled very well. He certainly deserved the results that he got and helped England clinch the series. How high do you rate him as a, as a test bowler? Well, I mean, someone who's got 50-odd wickets in the 11 matches, you know, you, you've got to rate quite highly. The acid, test, the acid test is going to be, what's he like after 50, 60 tests? Is he, st- is he still going to maintain that reassure of wickets or is he going to fall away? There have been a lot of people who have started off similarly to themselves and fallen away as times have got harder. But, you know, right now, you know, things are going well. The test for him now is going to be when he goes to Pakistan on those wickets in Pakistan uh, against better batsmen who are very familiar with their own conditions. We, you know, we'll see how he progresses in Pakistan. And have you got yourself other 
significant reasons why England won the series? Why, why, why England actually won? Um, yeah. I think there were a number of things, as I said. England, England's bowling in, in English conditions have never has been a problem. You know, they always back themselves in English conditions. Uh, the weakness of South Africa's batting, fundamental mistakes made by South Africa, which um, reinforce um, England's um, authority on the games. And when it mattered, you know, England did, did the things correctly. So all in all, it, for me, it was a series of England doing some good things and doing them well. South Africa really making some big mistakes with an inexperienced team that they could ill afford. With the team that they had, they could not afford to make many mistakes. If you've got a fantastic team batting and bowling, you know, you can make mistakes and catch up in the game. The strength of South Africa's team, particularly with their batting right now, they can't make mistakes. If they make mistakes, you know, they're going to get beaten. And, and we saw that. And I thought from that second test, with that decision to play a spinner, um, the writing was on the wall. Well, looking ahead to England's Pakistan Test Tour, which begins in, in December, just reiterating what you've said in your summary, it's now 10 years since we've lost a home series of more than two test matches. And in our last 11 tests away from home, we've lost eight and drawn three. So what do you think our prospects are in Pakistan? Well, I think, first of all, that's a record that they've got to try to put right because it is not a flattering away record. And as we all know, playing cricket away from home is always the, the, the toughest thing for any team. England are going to find Pakistan extremely difficult. I mean, perhaps it's going to be one of their most difficult tours for a long, long time. The reasons for that being, you know, Pakistan have been starved, obviously, of playing a lot of international cricket in Pakistan. So they'd be keen for that to happen. They've got some terrific batsmen in their side. They've got some very good bowlers, um, both pace and spin. So I expect that England were really going to get a, a serious examination as to how far they have come as a test side when they play in Pakistan. And do you expect England to make changes for the tour and to the team? I would suspect that, you know, they will have to make changes. Um, I mean, what will happen with Anderson and Braun? There's talk of them being, they want them next year for the Ashes, but Anderson and Broads, particularly at this late stage of their career, overseas records are not very flattering. So that's the first decision they'll have to make as to whether they take one or both of them on this tour. And if they do, who do they leave behind? Um, so it's going to be, uh, and then obviously in the spin department, I think they're going to need um, certainly more than just a Jack Leach on the tour. They're going to need to take another spinner with them. So those are decisions that England will have to make. Obviously, they'll have an eye on the Ashes next year. But it's okay having an eye on the Ashes next year, but you don't want to get beaten in Pakistan. So they've got to make this the first priority. Yeah, talking about the spinners, I think we've heard that Moen Ali and Adil Rashid have said they don't want to go. So you've watched a bit of county cricket. Who are the other spinning options alongside Jack Leach? Well, I'll be very honest with you. The games that I've seen, um, there isn't a lot of spinners 
uh, of the quality that that is required. I, I think the cupboard is pretty bare right now, and it has been for a long, long time. Um, you know, they've been trying to leach for a, a long time. It's only really in this last year or so that you're seeing signs that he's perhaps coming to grips with international cricket. So, you know, whoever they take, really, it's a great opportunity for them. Um, but I think the cupboard is quite bare. I, I cannot put my hand up and say there's a particular person right now that I believe should get that place because I, one, I haven't seen enough, but what I have seen, I have not seen somebody who has jumped out at me as a as a real spinner that, that should take that position in the team. Well, that will make it very hard uh, winning games in Pakistan without, um, if, if you've just got Jack Leach and, and Joe Root to bowl. Well, it'll make it extremely difficult because, you know, if if in Pakistan, you know, you, you're going to need you're going to need a penetrative spinner. Um, Jack Leach, Jack Leach, by no means, is you would say, is a penetrative spinner. Um, you know, he bowls a lot of overs, but you know, he he's you know he's got he's got to learn to bowl in in Pakistan. Um, people believe that you know it's easy for a spinner to go to Pakistan and 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 do well. The reality is, it's not. It's not easy. Um, you know, you've got to do really well as a as a spinner in Pakistan also to get wickets, and you know the quality of their batsmen in their own conditions, um, and they're brought up on playing spin as well. So, whichever spinner goes, you know, it's going to be a real learning curve for for him. Well, hopefully, we will have Mark Wood back to add some pace and fire to the attack. Well, he would be, you know, he he would be someone that you need because you do need that that pace but you know the situation with Mark Wood is one that you don't know you know in terms of he hasn't been playing is he going to break down is he going to feel his way back is he going to be still at 100 miles an hour uh, he's still at unknown quantity so you're taking a chance with him and hoping that everything will go right so and you've got to go slowly slowly with him I can't believe for any minute that with him, they're going to rush him into playing too soon and bowling too much. You know, he's going to be someone that they'll have to nurture very carefully on the tour, particularly with, you know, next summer in mind. As I said, you, you can't think too far ahead. But at the same time, you've got to ensure that when that tour is finished, you know, Mark Wood is still standing and he's still fit. And batting-wise, do you think they'll persevere with the two openers, Crawley and and Lees? I think they will go on the tour. Um, I would imagine someone like, I guess, based on runs this year, Keaton Jennings would um, would get an opportunity. I think he's got some runs in the subcontinent before, so that that will probably um, help his selection. Um, but I mean, you, you're going to need certainly more than the two openers. So I think Jennings has got a very good chance, you know, whether he will go and start instead of one of those two I, I really don't know but I would expect that they'll take a, another opener for sure But Ollie Pope has certainly impressed during the summer he topped the averages against South Africa and hopefully Joe Root will get back in the runs against Pakistan he's always a very good player of spin bowling Yeah well Pope's batting at, at, at three and he's had a, you know, a good summer but again you know Pakistan is going to be a new challenge for him you know, he's going to have to go there and show the same sort of qualities that you've seen glimpses of um, in the past. It's not going to be by easy by any means. 
him batted at number three. Um, I'm glad to see that Jorut is back in his favoured position at number four. I never really felt that he should be elevated to three. I know why he did it, because there was a shortage of quality in the team and he felt that he had to move up. But his results, and if you check his stats over the years, you'll see that his best results have always come at number four. So to have him bat at four uh, is, a, is, is key. And what they need to really hope is that Pope succeeds at three so that there's no need to tinker around with the batting order. And then obviously after that, you know, Bairstow and others who, and the captain himself and others down the, down the line. So, yeah, Pope, Pope's a big tour for Pope as well. And, and for Zach Crawley. And how impressed were you with England's wicketkeeper, uh, Ben Folks, who scored a century in that big partnership with Ben Ben Stokes at Old Trafford? Well, I, mean, I thought Folks did a good job for the time he was in the Caribbean at the early part of the year. Um, I I mentioned that in dispatches. I, I thought he kept well. At times, you know, his batting certainly looked very capable. Um, you know, one thing that he did for me well in the Caribbean was that, you know, to a lot of the bowlers, Wokes and others, he, he, he stood up to the stumps. And, and that was something you don't see um, on a regular basis. So, you know, he's obviously going to grow in confidence, the fact that he's had a good summer. He's also got 100 as well. So, you know, that should help him also when he goes to Pakistan. And he was going to be, I think, a very important member of the team. And personally, you've been over into the, in the UK for the summer. And in a follow-up to episode 137, how how did your bat launch go at Lords? It was on one of those really hot days, wasn't it? Well, it was on the hot day. Um, <laughs> it, it was that, that Monday when it was 41 or 42 degrees. And yes, it was an excellent day. Uh, we had some very good support. You know, we, we, we had the president of the West Indies Cricket Board, Ricky Skerritt, came to the, to the opening. We had uh, Jamie Cox, who was assistant secretary of, of the MCC, uh, Mike Rampakash came, also John Simpson. You, you had um, Angus Fraser, Ricky Elcott. So a lot of players came as, uh, and supported, along with um, many other persons involved. And it was a, it was a really good event. Um, got some very good good message sent to us by Cigarfield Silvers um, in relation to that, and, and also Clive Lloyd. So... You know, I thought it went well and um, was very well received. And you're keeping busy with your equity, diversity and inclusivity tour as well. Yeah, I mean, on top of commentating, you know, I'm still doing um, the talks, etc. Um, this last week, I was in um, Hill House School in Doncaster on, on Monday. Um, a few days before that, I was in the city with the housing Diversity Housing Association, um, and a few more things coming up. Yeah, so we've been pretty busy on that front as well. Yeah, I was going to shout out for the Neil Wade Academy in March in Cambridgeshire, where I come come from, and you're coming along there on October the 5th. That's correct, yes, yeah. And um, I was discussing it today with, with Sean again, so looking forward to that. Well, I was going to ask you at the end, we'd mentioned it during the podcast um, about the Ashes 2023. Is it going to be Anderson and Broad's swan song? Well, that's what I'm hearing. Um, whether it's a swan song, there's certainly the reports that I have read, whether they're correct or not, says, you know, the, the coach says 
you know, he would like Anderson and Bro to be available uh, next summer. But between now and next summer, you know, a lot could happen. I expect that, certainly playing at home, that they will have a part to play. There's no, because at home, you know, they are two masters of, of the conditions. So, you know, England might want to try and keep them in cotton wool to play a part next year because they'll need to because the Aussies are coming and they're coming for those ashes. Um, they're not coming just to participate in a party. Um, they're coming for the ashes. And at this moment in time, I would feel that the Australians are favourites to actually do that because, you know, they they have got a very good unit right now, both batting and bowling. And as long as their bowlers um, stay fit, um, you know, here's a Woodstock, uh, etc. Um, you know, I think they will be a formidable um, team next year when they come here. Well, they haven't won here since 2001, but they do, of course, hold the ashes. Uh, any news at all on Joffre Archer? Could he be back for next summer? Well, I haven't heard anything, but again, that's another question. Um, you know, how, how near is he to fitness? Um, I have heard no reports. I don't know whether he's back bowling or or what. So, again, that's something that, you know, I guess we'll have to watch this space and see how it develops. I think England could certainly do with him. There's no question about him to, about it to have, you know, that bit of extra pace and quality um, in your squad would certainly be would make it much more comfortable. I think against the Australians, you know, if they can get him back against the Australians, they could go with Mark Wood You've got Anderson Broad, and then you add Robinson in there as well. Um, you know, you've got a group of players that, even if there's loss of form or injuries, that can still be very competitive with the ball. But against Australia, the key thing's really going to be is what runs can England put on the board. That's going to be the issue. And just going back, we didn't get a prediction for you from you for the Pakistan-England series starting in December. I'm I'm tipping Pakistan to win. Uh, one nil, two nil, three nil. Is it if 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 it's three if it's three test match? Um, I'm looking at a two one two one win to Pakistan. Right. Well, we'll look back on that in our next uh, review of the test series. Um, that will could be in the new year because I think the test match finishes just before Christmas. Thank you again for being on the paddock and the pavilion. <laughs> That's a great pleasure. And even before that, we've got the World Cup to look forward to. So that's um, some excitement coming up um, in the not-too-distant future. Yes, we have. Thank you. Since recording the podcast on the 16th of September, Roland has confirmed he will be back to review the ICC T20 World Cup in November. If you do have a question about the competition, I would love to hear from listeners. Either email thepaddockandthepavilion at gmail.com or direct message The Paddock and the Pavilion on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, at The Pad and Pav. I will then pose the questions to Roland when he reviews the competition in November. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Pad and Pav. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.